I'm going to draw our text this evening from an interesting book I have not visited um, behind the pulpit in many years. It's been a long time. It's not really one that you just preach out of on a weekly or monthly basis. But I'd like for you to join me tonight, if you would, in the book of Habakkuk. In the book of Habakkuk, if you would. That's H-A-B-A-K-K-U-K, Habakkuk. Thank you, praise team, tonight. Thank you so much for your worship. I'm very thankful to be in a worshiping church. I can't imagine being in a dead, dried up church. If I can say this without y'all thinking I got a bad spirit, I'm just going to say it like this. I wouldn't be in a dead church. I wouldn't be. I just couldn't be. If it didn't come alive, I believe I'd leave. Because I want to be where the glory of God is. I want to be where the power of God is. Amen. If you have found Habakkuk, say amen. If you have not, go to the front of your Bibles and look. And there's a list of all 66 books. We're going to the book of Habakkuk, chapter number 3. Habakkuk 3, verse number 1. I'm going to read two verses and then drop down... uh, to verse 17, Habakkuk 3 and 1, let the church say amen. amen. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shagianoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. Verse 17, although the fig tree shall not blossom, it sounds kind of depressing a little bit, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olives shall fail, the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places. To the chief singer on my stringed instruments. And let the church say amen Amen. to the reading of the word. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. How many of you believe there's power in prayer? I believe there's power in prayer. I believe there is power in prayer. When I was a boy, we used to sing a song quite a bit. There's power in prayer, power to spare. All that you ever need is waiting right there. Just a few words, a little child's faith. And it's goodbye despair. There is power, so much power in prayer. In times of trouble and distress, God has always raised up prayer warriors. I have found it to be a fact that problematic circumstances have often been the seed of the most passionate and fervent prayer in my life. The most potent and impacting prayers of all history were no doubt prayed in times of great distress. 
And such was the context in which we find the prayer of Habakkuk. God's people needed revival. It was a tough place for them to be. They needed revival. But I'm going to say something right here that may surprise you. When revival is needed, it is always birthed in prayer. It will not be birthed any other way. It will not be birthed because you found a book entitled, This is How You Have Revival. It's not going to be birthed because you found a TV preacher that said, This is how you have revival. I want to tell you that the Word of God leads us to understand that any powerful move of God always begins when desperate people cry out to the Lord. Amen. I would say without reservation tonight that prayer is the most important task of the church. Everything else that we do is secondary. Everything else that we transpire to become is secondary to prayer. I thank God for the professionalism of the departments in this church. I thank God for the people that always work hard to be sure that we are presenting our best that we can be. But I want you to understand tonight that everything we do in this church has always been and will always be secondary to the power of prayer. Why, pastor? Because prayer works when nothing else will. Prayer has the power to move nations. It is prayer and prayer alone that will position the church and condition our communities for revival. When programs cease to be effective and when people seem to lose their magic touch, the power of prayer will always make the difference. I'm telling you tonight that if we teach young people how to sing, they'll always know how to sing. But if we teach them to prioritize their gift over prayer, they'll never have a problem with singing without anointing. I have said it so many times in my life and it was never uncomfortable for me because uh, up until the last few years, I've always been uh, a musician on the platform, and so I didn't have a problem picking on musicians. But I want to tell you that your pastor still believes, and I'm very much convicted, that although I am not the chief musician in the house of the Lord any longer at FPC, I would by far rather have anointed musicians than I would to have the most talented musicians in our movement. If we're not careful, we can become so polished in our presentation that we lack power and authority. I'm telling you right now that Pentecost is in trouble when we become so gifted that we can promote and we can move and we can establish a move on our own whether God shows up or not we still rely on the supernatural and when the piano can't do it prayer can I thank God for music I thank the Lord for it and I've had times in my life where 
it felt good to me to just sit down and play music and sing a little bit on my own. I enjoy that. I enjoy that time with God. I've had time where I'm blessed to turn on music and listen to it. But I, I want to tell you what I've found to be true. That in my life, when I'm in trouble and I'm low, things are rough, I usually don't just bust out in a song. When I need God to move, when this church is in dire need of direction, I don't sing my way through pastor in this church. It's all in the power of prayer. I don't come in this sanctuary intentionally and just walk around and sing all the time. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes my prayer don't involve singing unto the Lord. But it's never been the power of a music department that produces a powerful life-giving church. It is the power of transforming prayer that will keep this church positioned and postured for revival. The word of the Lord tells us that Habakkuk prayed unto the Lord. He talked to God. It is time that we as a body of Christ learn that it is vitally important for us to shift our focus in the end time from everything else that modern Christianity says is the way to growth. That it is the way to grow a church. It is the way to impact your city. I'm saying very simply tonight without trying to be negative in my remarks that we have watched churches phase themselves into our religious societies and say that the answer to touching lives is to make people more comfortable and to turn our sanctuaries into places where people can come and be in a more relaxed environment and sit back and relax and sip on a cup of coffee while the word of God is being preached. And forgive me again if I sound like I'm being a little short here, but I want to tell you if the word that you're preaching has been produced by some website and what they tell you you're supposed to be preaching, that may be all right. But I still believe in a lot it in with God in a season of prayer and getting a hold of the voice of God and listening to the voice of God. We need apostolic preaching that will shake our cities, an apostolic church that will shake our cities, and that does not come. Oh my God. And that does not come because we've learned how to entertain people. That does not come because we serve better donuts than Krispy Kreme. tell you it don't come because your pastor is willing to make people comfortable and put on ripped jeans and a t-shirt and flex real good some of these cats taking pre-workout before they preach so that their veins pop out <laughs> you call me old-fashioned if you want to but I don't believe when people walk through the doors of your church that they can feel the power of your music now, they, they may feel it during church, but what they feel when they walk through the door, that presence that they feel that makes the hair stand up on the back of their neck, it's not because we've got good music. It's because these walls have been saturated with prayer and somebody somewhere has been calling on the name of the Lord. I thank God. I thank God. I thank God. 
for our best foot being forward. I want to say that over and over again. I want everything that we do to be with excellence. But understand me when I tell you that in the midst of the years when Habakkuk was desperate, he didn't start preaching and he didn't start singing. He prayed. He said, oh Lord, I have heard thy speech. And I was afraid. Oh, Lord, he said, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. And in wrath, remember mercy. Oh, Lord, he said, I heard thy speech and I was afraid. I heard what you said, Lord. And it made me afraid. I was fearful. He heard how the word of the Lord God had pronounced judgment on sin and sinners. He heard how God's word declared what was going to come upon the nation and the land that forgot God. And when he heard what the Lord was going to do to the nation that forgot God, he was afraid. Can I be transparent enough to tell you tonight that one of the things that's kept me on my face is not just this church, but it's the nation that we live in because I know what happens to a nation that forgets God. be honest with you, I feel like I can understand what Habakkuk felt when he wrote those words because I've had those same exact feelings. When I've seen how the world is rejecting God and rejecting the word of God and rejecting his ways, I want to say tonight to the world, this has nothing to do with how mean and cruel God is. This is what the world is bringing on itself. This is what the world is bringing on itself. I'm telling you without reservation at all tonight in my spirit that the Lord will indeed bring fiery indignation upon this wicked world. The world has chosen wrath over mercy. They have decided that they would rather risk offending God than accepting his ways. And that's all right. I know it's a dark time and it's a dark world. But before we get down and out and worried about the world going to hell, in a handbasket. I want to tell you that I believe the power of a praying church can posture us in the midst of darkness to have the greatest revival we've ever had. Lord, I heard your speech and I was afraid. Even when the fear of the future gripped Habakkuk's heart, he cried out to the Lord. And listen to what he said. He said, revive thy works in the midst of the years. Revive thy works in the midst of trouble. He did not say we're going to wait till the trouble's over and then God is going to move. He did not say we're going to wait until the wrath is over and then God is going to move. He said, Lord, I believe that if I reach out and touch you right now, I believe that in the midst of the years, in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the struggle, I believe, God, that you can remember us. Revive your work, Lord. Don't quit reaching for us. Don't quit working on us. God, don't quit. It was a desperate cry in the voice of this man that was saying, oh God, 
please touch my generation one more time. Touch my generation one more time. I feel like telling somebody tonight that we can sit around and worry about what the future is going to hold in this nation. We can sit around and wonder what it's going to look like when the Antichrist is revealed. Or we can find a prayer room and say, God, whatever you've got to do, touch this generation one more time. Touch our nation one more time. Touch our city. If you brothers will help me tonight with a little bit of monitor up here. I've only got one working and I'm working on my vocal cords tonight. Move God. Move God. Move God. In the midst of this generation, move God. In the midst of the years, move God. In the midst of the trouble, reveal yourself again, God. In the midst of the struggle, show yourself again. God, in the middle of wrath, would you remember mercy? Can I tell you tonight that it is my opinion that God, now this doesn't have to be your opinion, but it's mine. And you got a right to be wrong if you want to be. But in my opinion, I believe that God is going to allow one more great thrust of revival to sweep across this land one more time. I'm going to say it to you tonight in faith and hope. I don't believe we've preached our last sermon on foreign soil yet. I don't believe America's had its greatest revival yet. I don't believe we've had our greatest breakthrough yet. I don't believe that this world is taking over the church. I believe we're going to have revival. Believe that. I believe that God has used what we've been through in the last year or so to reveal the people that are truly hungry for breakthrough. I believe that God revealed the, the, the people that were satisfied with just playing church. And I don't mean that to sound ugly. But we became professional in our approach to playing church. We learned how to put our game face on on Sunday and fall apart on Monday but have it back together by Wednesday if we even showed up on Wednesday and that was the way of life. But I believe that God has got a hold of the hearts of some people that have found a prayer closet in the midst of the years and said, God, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if there's a COVID pandemic. God, it doesn't matter if there's sickness. It doesn't matter what's going on Touch us one more time. Before the flood, he had an ark built. Are you hearing what I'm telling you tonight? Before the flood came, the Lord made sure that the ark was prepared. What, 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 are, you, what, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying to you, that we as the body of Christ have better be sure that the ark is ready before the flood comes. I, I don't want to get sidetracked here and I don't want to go chasing rabbit trails. But I'm struggling with justifying in my mind why people would pick right now to compromise. I, I really, I'm, I struggle in my mind right now trying to find out why in the world anybody would be looking for an easier way right now? You really believe that when Noah got his family on that ark and the Lord closed the door, that Noah, 
the door closed and he called his family together in a meeting the rain started pouring do you believe that Noah sat down with his family and said look I don't know how y'all feel about it but I think that was way too much work huh? is there anybody that believes he called his Sham Ham and Japheth together and their wife said you guys sit down right here now I'm going to tell you I'm thankful for this ark but I don't think it's necessary I'm going to tell you something right now. The world is going to begin to reveal to us some things that we took for granted. Because it's possible that on the inside of the ark, you could have gotten just accustomed to your ways and said, well, it may not be necessary, whatever. But you hear what I'm telling you. Everybody on the outside of the ark knew that it was necessary for there to be an ark. Come on, somebody. We're awful distracted right now. We got traffic moving around in here. I want everybody to focus. I don't want the devil to steal what I'm telling you right now. You hear this preacher when I tell you the ark has got to be prepared because the flood is coming. You don't have to believe it, but I believe it's in the book that Jesus is getting ready to come back. I believe that the rapture of the church is coming back. I believe that the Lord is coming back to get his people. And here's what I believe. I believe that a church that's desperate like Habakkuk was in the middle of the darkest time we've ever seen can touch the heart of God and say in the midst of the years give us revival I'm going to be bold in the Holy Ghost right here so you just stay with me but I'm going to tell you God's going to smack some smirks off of some faces in the end time God's going to take some of these little arrogant people that think they've got it all together and got it all figured out like they know more and they're smarter than everybody else. You listen to what I'm telling you. I've never been against education and I thank God for it. But you'll never be smarter than God. And you'll never outwit God. And you'll never be more powerful than the judgment of God. God's got a way of humbling people. And I'm saying to you tonight that we're calling out God restore the backslider. Restore the arrogant. God restore those that have become proud and haughty and bring them down when we get to the place that we're willing to pray God do whatever it takes we're going to have revival it's going to happen it's going to happen I'm going to sound like I'm being mean but I'm not being mean at all I'm telling you what I believe I believe that some people feel like they become smarter than the old closed minded church But you listen to pastor when I tell you tonight, the only thing that's been revealed is not their intelligence. What's been revealed is what was in their heart the whole time. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying to you, if you don't want to live it, you're not going to make it. So we can laugh. We can mock. We can say, oh, I've heard about the coming of the Lord all my life. But you mark it down. Just mark it down. There's coming a day that somebody's going to be sitting around and talking about how many years they wasted in the church and how much time they wasted in the church and all the years that they wasted that they could have been having a good time. And just about the time they get so intelligent that they think they know everything there is to know and they've got it all figured out 
and they've opened their mind up to higher reasoning. I'm going to tell you the highest thing they've ever seen or heard in their life is going to happen when the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel. I want you to know tonight there is no college degree in the world. There is no amount of education in the world that will ever replace the power of what God is going to do through his church in the end time. That it's not going to happen. Not gonna happen. Well, I just feel like the church is too closed minded. I thank God, and I hope you understand the context of what I'm about to say. But I thank God I was raised by closed minded people. I do. I'm great. I'm so grateful. I am so grateful. I preached about it a little bit this morning. But I'm so thankful that my mother and dad didn't give me options on doctrine. You can be baptized if you want to. But, you know, baptism is just about going public for Jesus. So you just take your time do it when you want to. I'll tell you about the time I got to the age that I started walking in, weeping, crying, and prayer meeting, saying... Daddy, if I don't get baptized, if the Lord comes, I'm going to be lost. It was about the time that my dad said, well, son, when you're ready, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Where I sat in my office, just, just to the right of my desk, I built in some built-in bookshelves. My little library is up there. And where my library is, just two steps away from my desk is the place where I was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of my sins, where my desk sits to the left of me, about three, four paces from my desk to the left, is where I preached my first sermon. My dad preached his first sermon. Bishop Bingham started preaching in this church in 1968 in that new building, right just a couple steps away from it. And I thank God, I thank God every day for closed-minded preachers. I thank God that my old hard-headed granddaddy was closed-minded when people walked in and said, Brother Bingham, if you'll just stop preaching this, this, and this, we'll fill this church up. I thank God that he was closed-minded enough to say, if that's what it takes to fill up this church, then we don't want what the church is filled up with. I was talking to a precious friend tonight before church. And I don't, I don't have time to go into the whole conversation, but it was funny. Well, we got to talking about some things. Because I never really dreamed, and, and, and please understand, I'm, I'm not glorying in this at all. I, don't, I still don't quite get it. I'm not real sure yet, Brother Jordan, how I got thrown on the spectrum of ultra-conservatives. <laughs> I'm a little blown away by that. When people look and say, man, that dude, he's conservative. I'm really not. I'm what at one time was considered to just be in the middle of the road apostolic, like what we've always been. But the issue is, is as goes the world, goes the church. And we've kept on moving to the place that moderates look like they're ultra-conservatives. And it makes me wonder what in the world we're going to look like if the Lord don't come back for 10 years. Ooh. Man, 
Did I show up at the right place tonight? Well, I just think, Pastor, I, just re- I really think there's some things that this church needs to, needs to just kind of ease up on a little bit because I believe there's a lot of hungry people that would walk in. Listen, I'm, I'm going to tell you all a little secret tonight. Just stay with me. I've been in this thing long enough to know. I could probably name you, if I stood here long enough, I could probably name you 50 people at least in, in five minutes that have stood in the valley of decision for long enough that they finally were willing to vacillate on their doctrine and their principles and their scruples and they would lay down convictions so they could grow a bigger church. And I could name you 50 right now without reservation that have a smaller church now than they had when they were preaching truth. And I could name you a bunch of them that the church doesn't even exist anymore. I'm, I'm not, you guys that were here at the missions conference, we had one of our speakers talked about their family and the things that had transpired with that. And that building got bulldozed and it doesn't even exist anymore. You know, all of that started so that we could be more compassionate to people. And today the building doesn't even exist. It's been bulldozed. It's been gone. I've shared this, Brother Stephen has shared this about uh, one of the professors that was speaking in uh, one of his college classes one day. He said that the churches, in essence, I'm not going to quote it verbatim because I'm in a hurry, but he said, in essence, the churches that are diminishing and closing their doors every single day are the churches that fully lack the conviction they need to be separated unto the Lord. He said, the fastest growing churches in the world right now are the churches that are willing to be separated and holy unto the Lord. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying the end time is not the time for us to start allowing things that we would have never allowed before because we're desperate. We're not going to have to be desperate to see the ark get filled up in the end time. We're just going to have to call on the Lord. Listen, I'm telling you right now that God is awakening the hearts of sinners in the midst of the years. There are people in this house tonight, I know it for a fact, wouldn't embarrass them for nothing, but there are people in this church tonight that would not have been in this church if it was not for COVID-19. Well, that was horrible. That was awful. What a terrible year we had. Listen, I'll tell you all something. I'm rejoicing at what God is doing in the hearts and the lives of people. I've never seen this church more desperate to be together. I've never seen this church more desperate to have revival. I've never seen this church more desperate in prayer. Now, if we're not careful, we're going to lose it. If we're not careful, we're going to let it go. And don't you think for one moment that God would never make us put a sign in the, in the yard of this church. we got to keep our hearts humble before God. And we got to keep calling all the good things that are happening around here. And the growth that's happening around here. It's not happening because we're comfortable. Can I ask y'all a question tonight, just being honest, and I don't, I don't mean this being ugly. But if compromise is really what people are looking for, then why aren't prodigals running to compromised places? Why do they always come back home? Is that all right, Bishop? I mean, why, why is it 
that they don't go to places that have quit believing God for end time harvest? Why is it they don't go running to churches that have stopped preaching holiness? Let me tell you why. Because it's a church without walls. It's an ark that has no floor in it. It's a wide open place that when the storm comes, you're going to fall out and be in the middle of everybody else. I'm saying to you tonight, church, I've got more hope than I've ever had in my life. That we are going to see the greatest harvest that we've ever seen. And we're not going to see it through compromise. And we're not going to see it through laying down. And we're not going to see it through quitting. And we're not... We're going to see it because we held on. We're going to see it because we kept on preaching. I've had some guys try to convince me that we ought to be potty mouthing right now. down Down in the dumps because of what we've been through. I'm saying, God, do whatever you've got to do to send your power one more time through this land. God, I don't care who you got to allow to get into power. I don't care what's got to happen in Washington. I, I think it's hilarious. We're all worried about Washington and compromising in the church. World's always been compromisers. Always. World's always been compromisers. But God's looking for somebody in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, that's not going to stand back and act like the pivot of the church is what's going on in the world. Can I tell you that when Rome was in power, the church started. When the world, when the church was being persecuted by the world, they still had revival. When apostles were being hung upside down and boiled in oil, come on somebody, they were having revival. When the letters were being written from the prison house, they were having revival. I saw a man this week. I don't know anything about him. I've seen one video of him before now. He is a pastor in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And the, whatever they call it in their town, basically like the health inspector, whatever, came in with a group of police officers and was going to try to shut him down. And he was sending them out, get out, get out of this church, get out, get out, get out of this church. And finally they left. And yesterday I saw the second video I've ever seen of him. They had him down on his knees in the rain in the middle of the interstate. They, they got him after he left church because he refused to stop meeting. Drug him out of his car, put him on his knees in the middle of the highway and carried him off like a, like a stuck hog with his hands and feet behind his back and car- carried him hog, like he was hog-tied. Carried him off and threw him in the back of a car. And the only crime, the only crime is that he refused to stop meeting. That's it. Well, that's in a foreign country. Folks, you can drive there by tomorrow afternoon. You can can be there by tomorrow. And we're going to sit back and fold our hands and wait on somebody else to pray the big prayers. We're going to sit down and wait on somebody else to get brave and preach it. What are you doing, Pastor? I'm on my face saying, Lord, in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years, revive us, God. In the midst of the years, send revival. God, whatever they're doing, we're not going to stop doing what we're doing. We're going to have revival in the midst of the years. Uh, Let me hurry tonight. 
Several years ago, I took a look at this chapter, and I, it's kind of weird because I'm working this backwards. I realize that, but in Habakkuk, the opening of the, of the chapter, the third chapter, said a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shaganoff. And when I read that before, I thought that uh, Shaganoff was some kind of like a... Uh, a land like a, a maybe a mountain or something that he was saying this prayer on a mountain called Shiganoth, Shiganoth, sitting on this place somewhere praying this prayer. And I was wrong. I thought that he was praying in a geographical location. But the word Shiganoth is actually an ancient musical term. Now, if you Start looking deep, you're going to find there's much debate over the exact meaning. But scholars have translated Shaganoth to mean a highly emotional, poetic form. What does that mean? It means that it is a type of song. It is a type of a melodious activity. A specific type. That one thing you'll find that's always agreed upon is that it is not a slow, whiny, tears dripping in my root beer kind of song. It is not the kind of song that you would sing sitting back with your thumb in your mouth worried about what tomorrow is going to bring. But it is agreed upon unanimously that it is a high form of praise it is wild in its essence it is exuberant in its essence it is rhythmic in its diction it is powerful it is expressive in other words if you start getting the picture with me as Habakkuk was praying this prayer he was not laying back weeping and crying saying oh God please do something please 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 but upon Shaganoth what he was doing is that there was a praise and a victory in the chant as he prayed he wasn't laying back saying God this is so bad that if you'll just remember us I'd be forever grateful but he, he actually began in a rhythmic exuberant powerful way to express to God if I could say it to you like this as he was praying God revive us in the midst of the years what he was really saying is it's prime time for revival it's prime time for a move of God he was saying, Lord, don't forget about us. It's prime time for revival. He was upset because the judgment of the Lord was coming on the land. And he said, Lord, whatever you're going to do, let us have revival in the middle of it. Now listen. <laughs> in the midst of the darkest hour of God's people, a musical term begins to prophesy of the goodness of the Lord. Let me follow some things with you real quick so you, so you understand the context. In chapter 1 of Habakkuk, if you've read it, and I hope you have, he's upset because he feels like God has forgotten him in a situation. He said, Lord, how long will I cry unto you and you won't hear me? That's in the first chapter. In the second chapter, he rails on the people because they've made themselves idols out of wood and stone and worshiped them in place of God. And so by the third chapter, it's probably the most devastating because it declares emphatically 
what happens as a result of the idolatry in the nation. It was a time that God had determined he was not going to bless his people. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that the blessing of God is not what predicated the kind of prayer that Habakkuk prayed. He wasn't blessing the Lord because he was blessed. He wasn't blessing the Lord because of prosperity. He was blessing the Lord because he realized that God was actually going to do what he said he was going to do. I've seen people that are worried, oh my God, what are we going to do? i tell you what we're going to do. We're going to have revival. We're going to have harvest. We're going to have breakthrough. And we're going to see the glory of the Lord revealed. The 17th verse of the third chapter declares their folly. The fig tree shall not blossom. Neither shall the fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olives shall fail. The field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls. And right here is when people start saying, well, I guess we should probably just close down. I guess we should probably just quit. I mean, after all, We can't be too bold in this world, you know, because people may think we're weird. Isn't that awful? Isn't it awful how we feel about that? I mean, God forbid that we actually have to stand out among other people. Oh, Lord, I'm on that rabbit trail. I got to be careful. I talked to some guys early on in the process of all this, and they said, man, Don't be foolish, bro. Don't be foolish. This has nothing to do with the persecution of the church. This has everything to do with the virus. They're just trying to keep us safe. I noticed that when the man in Calgary was being carried off hogtied today. I noticed. I would challenge you. Of course, finding some accurate numbers would be incredible if you could. But I would challenge you to go find the numbers and see how dangerous it is right now to have church in that region. And then tell me the reason why they're hog-tying preachers and carrying them off to jail is because it's dangerous. Woo! It's tight, but it's right up in here right now. You listen to what pastor's telling you. God's had to use these last few months to toughen us up a little bit. To get us to see we don't belong in this world. I'm just going to state some obvious things right now. And I know we've been affected. I know some of us, recent days have been affected. I talked to Zach this morning. He said, man, I lost 20 pounds when I was sick. He said, I just started going to the gym that week, and then I lost 20 pounds. I said, well, good, just tell people you started going to the gym and lost 20 pounds. (laughs) And you look good, man. So just just tell people you got sick. Listen. I'm just telling you, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But this is not the worst thing we're going to see. Because this is not naturally occurring in the earth. Does, any, does anybody, I know sometimes I, I may sound like a broken record, but 
When I was a kid, I always wondered, Brother Castro, how in the world every nation of the earth would get on the same page of agreement for the Antichrist to rise to power until last year. Every president, every king, every prime minister, in less than 36 hours had the whole world shut down. And they said in every country, every, every country in the world, every country, you're not going to leave your house, you're not going to do this. Thank God in America, it was a little bit different because we old Westerners were spoiled rotten. But we were in a mess. Can't go to church, can't go see. I, man, I remember feeling so desperate standing on the front porch talking to people through their doors. Y'all doing okay? I don't want to come any closer, I'm scared. I was. But once you start realizing the undercurrent of what the enemy has been doing and the paralyzing fear that has gripped the hearts of people, you listen to Pastor when I tell you tonight that God has used this season to find out what you're really made of. He has used this season to find out what you're really made of. And I'm saying to you right now that I am glad. I am publicly declaring that I am glad to be a part of a church that isn't soft. I'm glad to be a part of a victorious church. I'm glad to be a part of a people that said, Pastor, we want to get back in the house of the Lord. We want to see God bring us revival in the midst of the year. Tell your neighbor, say, don't be slow. Don't be whiny. Don't be quitting. We need somebody in the midst of a message that says, the fig tree shall not blossom. We need somebody in the midst of a message that said, there's not going to be any cattle in the stall. We need somebody to say, you know what? The message of the world may be that it's over. But we're saying in the midst of the years, God's just getting started. Some of us that have been praying whatever it takes, I'm going to tell you what I believe. I'm still holding on to what I said at the beginning of this thing. I'm still believing that any day now, we're going to see some of your lost family walk through the doors of this building. I believe that God's going to get some people desperate enough that they're going to start making some things right and they're going to start burning some bridges and they're going to start walking away from some things and they're going to come to the house of the Lord and they're going to be restored not when the trouble goes away but in the midst of the year. I'm about to you. So here he is, this old crazy lunatic, singing with excitement. Think about it, upon Shaganoth, with excitement. The fig tree shall not blossom. <laughs> when you understand the context, he sang with exuberance. The olive tree shall fail. Wow! Why? Why is he doing that? Because I want to tell you, some people will never get desperate 
until their tree stops bearing fruit. Habakkuk was saying, Lord, if you need to let the fig tree dry up, let the fig tree dry up. And if the olive tree doesn't bear olives, let it be, God. And if their bed is a bed of rocks, make it a bed of rocks. And if they dream about eternity every night, let them dream about eternity. But whatever you do, revive us. Can you imagine what kind of a lunatic they thought he was, Bishop? There's no cattle in the stall. Praise God. Their refrigerator's running out. I know what the world wants you to believe. The world wants you to believe everybody's going to take the mark. But I'm going to tell you not everybody's going to take the mark. There's going to be some that grew up in the church. And Sister Doris, they heard it all their life. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or seed begging bread. And they're not going to run to the market to take the mark. They're going to run to the house of God because they know where the righteous are is a safe place. Why do you rejoice over trouble? Why do you rejoice in a moment of difficulty and distress? Why? Why would you do that? Because I'm having my moment upon Shaganoff. I'm tired of the world telling me when to praise and when not to praise. When to worship and when not to worship. You know what Habakkuk was saying? These idol-loving people don't control the narrative. The people of God are going to control the narrative. And we're going to have revival regardless of what they do, how they do it, or what happens to their harvest. We're going to have revival. He sings. Because he knows that God is not going to let. And here, Pastor Well, I'm coming to a close. Hear me well. He knew that God was not going to let the withering fig, olive, dying fields, wasting cattle herds be the end of the story. He said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. In the God of my salvation. I want to take you to one quick place in closing. Yet will I, Allah's, rejoice. A-L-A-Z. Yet will I, Allah's, in the God of my salvation. This word, Bishop, is so powerful because it does not mean to just take joy and to rejoice in as in I'll find a way to have joy regardless. But the word Allah's actually means in and of itself to jump for joy. A physical expression, physically moving and dancing before the Lord, Allah's. He said, yet will I dance and shout and sing and give glory to God. Even in the midst of discouragement. Even in the midst of darkness. I want the world to know. I am not depressed. I am not discouraged. I am on Shaganoth. I am in a place of worship. I am in a place of dancing. 
I am in a place of rejoicing because regardless of what the world does, the world did not give me my dance and the world can't take my dance. The world did not give me my victory and the world cannot take my victory. You hear this preacher when I tell you tonight, it doesn't matter what happens in the world. We've got a reason to rejoice. Let me say this as you stand. Hear me well. The world is not going to get better. But the church is. <laughs> Listen, it changes the whole context. Verse 19. He will make my feet. Why is he dealing with feet? Because Allah is dancing in the feet. It is the jumping of the feet. My feet are moving. And he said, if everything around me is shaking, he'll make my feet like Heinz feet that cannot be moved. He was saying, as long as I'm standing on the solid rock, I've got a reason to rejoice. I've got a reason to dance. I've got a reason to lift my voice and shout. Can I tell you tonight, FPC, we've got a reason to rejoice. Revival is not coming. Revival is here. Harvest is not coming. Harvest has arrived. We are living in the greatest hour of the church. And we've got a reason to rejoice. The words are so powerful. Verse 19. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places. This is a little deeper than it appears at first glance. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Against principalities and powers. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Against spiritual wickedness. In high places. He said, when I learn how to rejoice in the midst of chaos, every time I dance, my feet are walking on the high places that we have wrestled against. Listen, this is prime time. The high places have been wrestling against us, trying to stop revival, trying to stop harvest. And Habakkuk said, when all hell breaks loose, that means I'm dancing all over their plans. I'm dancing, I'm jumping, I'm leaping on the high places. I want to tell you tonight, keep on praising, keep on worshiping, because you're dancing in high places. We're going to counteract everything. The Lord gave us a roadmap. What are we going to do, Pastor? These schools. Oh my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to have a Christian school. Come on. <laughs> what are we going to do? Oh my Lord. What about our kids? We got options. Our kids are going to be in the house of the Lord six days out of the week at least. Let me tell you what's going to happen. If the Lord don't come back for another couple of years, we're going to produce more preachers, more pastors, more evangelists, more prophets, more missionaries. We're going to see it happen in the name of Jesus. We're going to have.